0: This rivalry will make sense in a moment. Let's pray. Father, you are a generous God who brings peace and reconciliation. We sit and reflect upon you, God, and realize that we need you. There's so many times in our lives that, that we think we can do life by ourselves. We don't need any authority. We don't need any kind of folks to tell us what to do. But Lord, as we get older, we realize that life is a little more complicated. And there's so many quick fixes and that ultimately we are designed for a relationship with you. Father, we are so grateful that you took the step to do that. Teach us today, help us understand all that there is in this reconciliation that you have so graciously supplied. We love you, Lord. We think of other churches even now who are meeting or churches that have been part of the ministry. We know that churches in this area, and and in particular, Father, we pray for connection in Northbridge and Fox Lake community, along with these churches and all the others in this area, in this state, in this nation. And all over the world, we ask, God, that you would do something today. That we would see you more clearly and listen to you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul is in prison because of his faith in Jesus. He wrote a letter to the believers in Ephesus. The apostle spends the first three chapters in the book or the letter to the Ephesians, and he focuses on the foundations of their faith, reminding them of the blessings of being in and with Christ. Paul vividly remembers B.C., life before Christ. That's probably why grace is such a big deal to him. But Paul had climbed the ladder of success. He had it all at one time, and then he met Jesus. Paul was drowning at that time, but Jesus rescued him. Paul was condemned at that time, but Jesus died on the cross. And justified and unshackled Paul. Paul was dead. But because of a relationship with Jesus, he now was alive and he was blessed. Last week, we began to digest Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, where Paul was again focusing on on God's amazing grace. I shared with you at that time that that sometimes our, well, amazement with grace seems to fade. We seem to forget where we were at times, and what we did at times, and who, well, we served at times. But Paul, perhaps because he was recently redeemed, never forgot that. And so he just kept talking about how amazing God's grace is. He doesn't deserve any of that. And so we had an opportunity last week to literally just kind of bask in God's amazing grace. This week we turn our attention to the next section in Paul's letter where he literally talks about reconciliation and peace, which are results... From God's grace. In this section, Paul describes the reconciliation that happens between Jews and Gentiles, as well as sinners and a righteous God. The effect of this reconciliation is peace in a newly constituted body of Christ, which he calls the church. If you have your Bibles or flat screens, if you could open them up. To Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 11, or starting at verse 11 and going through verse 22. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can read along with us up on the screen. I've asked Deb to read for us, so if you would, that'd be great.
1: So don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit.
0: Although this illustration is not perfect, it's good. I was raised a Bear fan. I lived in Chicago. From my youngest years, I was just told over and over and over again, the enemy was Packers. That, that's just it. <laughs> And so you you come up through this kind of training. And there's actually a wall of separation. There is. And the arguments happen, and it doesn't really help even that this Thursday they're going to mark a hundred years of battling against each other. All the way through and say, who is going to be victorious? And so what happens is, is there's this great divide and it doesn't even matter sometimes you're married to someone who has a wall sometimes you're in the same family like my brother we grew up in the same household and somehow he was deceived (laughs) I I don't understand it I, I gotta be honest We talk back and forth and say, Dave, where did you go wrong? Oh, my heart hurts. Now, the truth is, Jews and Gentiles, at least 2,000 years ago, the chasm was way worse. It really was. Now, I'm sure there's some people that would die a certain fan, but realistically, Whether the Packers win or the Bears win, it probably doesn't even make a difference. But to a Jew, all of their lives, they heard of those uncircumcised dogs. You don't hang with them. You don't associate with them. In fact, if you even go into their home, there's a whole kind of a right because somehow you got Gentile cooties. Well, or whatever you want to uh, look at this. And for us to just understand a little bit of why this happened, I think we need to look at the temple in Jerusalem. Now, if you can look on the screen, it probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you, and I get it, but, but what I want you to look at is the gold, or the golden yellow, all right? The whole structure was called more or less, the the temple mount. The actual temple is just that white in the center. What I want you to understand, all the way through, whenever a Jew walked in there, the yellow was called the court of Gentiles, just so you know, all right? That's where they got to hang out. All the Jews walked quite proudly past and through the court of Gentiles, Right into the temple. Can I then next next slide? This is just a little bit better. Now what happens? This is just the temple part, and what you will see is this gigantic wall, this stone structure with a few entryways. Everything on the outside of that, Gentiles could hang out. Oh, what happened? Only the Jews could go into the temple area. Now remember, the temple area was over and over and over, at least understood as that's where God's presence was. That's where God hung out. So for years and years and hundreds of centuries, literally, what happened was that Gentiles were told, really no access to God. Now there were ways they could, well, come to faith. But for the most part, That's the message they heard. So Paul starts off this letter reminding the Gentiles of life before Christ, before focusing on their rich new relationship with Jesus. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Remember, the church was filled at Ephesus With Gentile believers. All right. You are called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews, who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises made to them. You lived in this world without God. without hope. Let that sit for just a little bit. Seems to me the words are a little harsh. It seems to me the words are a little brutal. And for those a little bit unfamiliar with at least the differences 2,000 years ago between these people groups, the one main difference was circumcision. And circumcision was the outward sign that they were God-followers. But what Paul reminded the Gentiles, even though they were, well, pretty much living a life without God and without hope, he said, you know what, really, so many of the Jews are living a life without God and without hope. They, well, they've done the right things. They're religious, shall we say. All right. But really, they're not enjoying the presence of God. The one thing the Jews did have is that there was this idea, though, of the Messiah. The idea of, of, well, someone who would come and redeem a nation. But you look at these verses. You had no hope. You're living apart from God. You're excluded from kingdom membership. You were excluded from citizenship. You were far away from God. Some of them may have been religious. Some of them may have been really good. But they were apart. Wow. You read those verses. And you sigh. So depressing. So hopeless. But. Look at verse 13. And again in my Bible it's circled. It's underlined. There are arrows pointing to this, but, okay, starting at verse 13, but, 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 this is how it was, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. You were once far away from God, but another circle, Now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Jesus. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. Oh, whoa. They they just heard that again. Almost to some of them repulsive. What did you say, Paul? Are you serious? You mean brothers and sisters now when before we couldn't even go into their house look at this he united Jews and Gentiles into one people verse 14 when in his own body he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us he did this by ending the system of law and its commandments and regulations because he fulfilled it He made peace with both the Jews and the Gentiles by creating in himself one new people group from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled, brought together both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and ended literally a hostility toward each other. It was put to death. Verse 17, he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. He says, but now Jesus broke down the wall, the wall that used to separate, well, actually you and God, but also broke down the wall that separated between you and and other people on this planet. You have been now united with Jesus. You're brought together, all of you. You've been brought near. You have a relationship with Jesus because of the cross, because Christ died, because he shed his blood, because he redeemed you. We all once were far apart from God. But today, because of Jesus, you are brought close. You can experience abundant life and eternal life. Christ brought peace between Jews and Gentile. He is starting to paint a picture. Paul does not start the paragraph saying, oh, by the way, I'm just going to start describing the church. But remember, even in our interdiction, interdiction, introduction, A few weeks ago, we started talking, Paul was introducing this mystery, this this amazing new people group called the church. And in the church, it's going to be filled with Jews and Gentiles and Samaritans, all those that come to faith. Again, Jesus broke down the wall I know I showed you a picture before, but I'm going to show you a very short video clip again. Just picture yourself, to a Jew and to a Gentile, what these words meant. Let's look at it. Notice all the yellow. was such good news. It was so good. I'm sure the Jews felt a little bit awkward at this moment, but there were no more walls to God. They were looking again at Gentiles when God was trying to say, I sent my son to bring those who were far, the Gentiles, and actually bring those who were near, all those really religious people, all those that understood all about God, All of their lives, I'm going to bring you close to me also. Mostly because all of us are new creations. You see, when Jesus Christ saves us, when we come to a place recognizing that Christ paid our debt, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are literally new creations. We are brand new from the inside out. Let me read, starting at verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God, who has brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us to others. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made, we could be made, we, everybody on this planet, could be made right with God. So Jesus made the Jews and the Gentiles one people. Whoa. He reconciled the estranged by means of the cross. You know, it's really clear in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, and Acts chapter 10. Remember, the Spirit came. The disciples were all waiting for the Spirit to come and empower them. That was Jesus' instruction once he went up to glory. And when the Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, there was unbelievable revival. Peter was the spokesman, but he had spoken to so many Jews. And at that moment, 3,000 Jews came to faith, and the Spirit empowered and indwelt each one of them. Well, there are two other people groups. We've been talking a lot about Gentiles. But there's also the Samaritan people group. And the Samaritan people group, again, at that time... without trying to be too derogatory, a Jew would see them as a half-breed. Those that, well, were part Gentile and part Jew. So they were stained. They were tainted. But in Acts chapter 8, we see again that something miraculous happens where the Holy Spirit again is unleashed on the Samaritan people. And then God makes a huge statement through know, in Acts chapter ten, and so many of you know the story of Cornelius and Peter, and they're both kind of wrestling. Cornelius is a gentile, well, at least he knew God, respected God. Probably we would call him a proselyte. But Peter was still struggling with this whole Gentile thing. He just was. And God appeared to him in a dream. And in Acts chapter 10, we find really clear, again, that the Holy Spirit not only came upon Gentile believers. And as you go through Acts, over and over and over again, this was hard for the early Christians, at least those who were Jewish. Like, why are they, why is God, like, really seriously But again, what they didn't understand was all their religious standing didn't give them life either. They needed Jesus. He was their Messiah. You see, people have been reconciled to God because of the cross. Jews and Gentiles are not the issue in our church today. But I do think the message is clear. First of all, that God loved this world. And he sent his son to die in your place and my place so we could be reconciled. You see, peace is available with God to everyone. Think of that. The opportunity that each one of us has. To have a relationship with creator, God. A people, all of us at one time, because of our sinfulness, far off. But now we are brought together. Reconciliation changes us from the inside. Back 2,000 years ago, the great hatred for other people groups by the Jews and actually the Gentiles back. But when Jesus came in, and Jesus changed us, and when Jesus made us new creations, he gave us a capacity to love and to forgive and to look at other people groups, even people groups that we looked down upon with disdain and to be able to welcome them and be part of One body. Could you imagine even some as Paul began to teach about the body principle where where all believers would be part of Christ's body and there would be one forefinger and one middle finger. Well, the forefinger could be a Jew and the middle finger could be a a Gentile and, and your ring finger could be a Samaritan. Whoa! And you're working together. Like, I'm stuck with you now. Like, this is a bummer. Like, why would this have to happen? And God says, do you get this? This is so amazing. You guys so far apart, doing your own thing, and I've brought you together. Today, so we can love those within our walls. I'll say, oh, gee, I mean, oh, Rick, don't you know that Jesus gives me the capability of loving everybody inside the walls? Oh, I know that. But do you know again, and and please don't be too offended by this, but there's some people here who are really hard to love. Yeah. In fact, I'm hard to love. I know it's hard to believe. But it's true. There are ornery days. There are selfish days. But God gives us the capable of recognizing we're all one. We're a family. We are part of God's body. How cool is that? And what's even cooler is that we get to woo those outside the walls. Woo. Ne- never knew that was like a biblical term. It, it actually is. Is that we are a fragrance that we are a people group that are able to be ambassadors, which we just read, to be able to share good news and say you can be connected with God. And connected with God is so good. You can be reconciled to God. And you could live abundantly and fully. Oh, whoa, that is good news. There could be a purpose for you. You just don't exist. There's a reason you wake up every morning. Yes, it may be to pound nails. It may be. It may be to work in a desk. It may be teaching students. I I get all that. I do. But God has given each one of us assignment to be ambassadors. Those who get to represent Jesus and point people to Jesus. Now let's go to verses 19 through 22 as as Paul wraps up this section. Because this is so cool. So, again, that's a circle for me. In light of all this stuff, so, now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens. Now, again, not trying to tell you all the things to do, although I sort of am. Maybe you put a square around all these amazing things that God's doing. To remind you. But you are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on a foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ Himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple. For the Lord, through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his Spirit. Now try to wrap your arms around this, folks. What Paul is saying and revealing to this people group is blowing them away. I don't know how else to say it. He says, you're no longer strangers, foreigners. No, 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 not outsiders. You're not in the yellow part. No, 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 no. This is something so amazing. And then he uses three metaphors to describe the church. And this is so cool. You are citizens of the kingdom. Remember, you were outsiders. (laughs) No more. You're like a citizen. You're part of that country. You have a king, a good king, a good king who reigns. Oh, you are in a great spot. Yes, amen, thank you. That's good enough. But no, there's more, there's more. You are also members of God's family. God adopted you. You heard different verses here today. How cool is that? He's adopted you as firstborn sons. Giving you all the inheritance, all the opportunity. And literally, so you can call him Abba. The creator God. The God that absolutely spoke creation into existence. The one who is all powerful, knowing everything. That's your dad. Now yes, we need to respect him. But on the other hand, we can jump right into his lap too. Abba. And then he says this, and this may not be so attractive to some of you, but, but it actually is pretty cool, especially for the builders here. Okay, He goes, and you are his house. Really? Yeah, yeah. It, it gets better. You're becoming a holy temple. Uh, God's building something, again, this kind of corporate thing, where God dwells. You see, every one of us who come to faith in Jesus, we are new creations, but but the truth is the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us and lives in us and begins to refine us so that we might be able to reflect God better. And together we're stronger. But it says Christ is the cornerstone. It always goes back to Jesus. Now, there's some better devices right now, but actually 2,000 years ago when you're building a temple, you're building a house, you're building anything, there's always a cornerstone. And that's the spot where everything was plumb and level. All right? You'd keep going back to that spot. Or else you'd have a really crooked house. Okay? Things wouldn't fit. So you go back to the cornerstone, back to the cornerstone. It's the cornerstone. And it reminded me again, that's Jesus. Jesus made all this happen. It's by God's grace. It's because he loves us. It's because well, through him we are joined together and becoming a holy temple together. Paul tries to describe who we are, our position, and our relationship with God. And if you could see him in the jail cell, If you could see his pen writing, he might be standing or he might be sharing with someone who's who's writing down his dictation. But he's starting to get excited right now. He's going, do you understand this? This is unbelievable. It's all by God's grace. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. All this, though, and don't miss it, In the context of the church, of community, of becoming one and growing together. Remember, when Jesus ushered in the kingdom, he began to turn all the price tags upside down. He did. All the things we thought were important to us, Jesus kind of changed. It's not. And in our Western culture today, again, so many of us love to, well, not be accountable to anybody. Kind of do our own thing. We don't want to be part of a church or part of a community or part of God's family. It restricts us. And so, again, there's so much of the church hopping and so much of a, hey, I'm going to go to where a good program is or where a great preacher is. And we kind of forget It's kind of like kids, you know, when they're six or seven or eight years old and say, you know what, I just want a different dad. (laughs) You're kind of boring. You're not even athletic. I want Johnny's dad. Johnny's dad is cool. Johnny's dad is rich. Johnny's dad, well, he doesn't really get mad at me, uh, Johnny, when he doesn't do home. And, And, you know, you get that all the way growing up, don't you? Johnny's dad. And finally, you know, if I hear Johnny's if though we Johnny in my house again, I'm going to, never mind. But we get it. But sometimes that's how we are in churches. And God says, no, you're my family. This is what we're going to do. We're going to build you together. Now, as we kind of finish this, before we get to celebrate Christ's death, which is a little odd, I'd like to ask you a question. Actually, two questions. Now, if you really believe everything that Paul was writing here, and you're starting to embrace this, life is going to change for you. You will live differently if you are, well, part of God's family. If you're part of God's Building, you're just going to live differently. You just are. And so here's my questions. Do you believe this? Do you believe God has given you access to himself? Do you believe that you can live abundant life do you believe God desires deeply to be able to empower you so you can be an ambassador wherever you go? Because my guess is there are some folks, even right here, some really good folks, that say, you know what, I don't want to be part of the community here. They're kind of weird. Well, some of them are. They are. But it's God's family. And we have an opportunity to together grow and magnify our God. Some of us may say, well, you know, I don't want to be an ambassador. I like the way I drive. I don't want to be able to curb my tongue. I like to, and you fill in the blanks. If I start living underneath the authority of our great God, life's going to Change. That means I have to listen to them more. It means I got to spend some time with them more. It means that God's going to do different things than me. And you know what? I don't want to do that. You know what? The truth is there are going to be some folks here that, that believe that. But I can tell you that's probably going to be one of your greatest regrets that you've ever made, period. Just is. Not because Rick said it, but because God said it. So do you believe this, and are you living like this? Do you get up in the morning literally and say, I am a reconciled ambassador. I get to reflect Jesus and tell others today, whoever I bump into, the good news about Jesus. I get to tell them I was dead, now I'm alive. I get to tell them I was, well, condemned. And I'm unshackled. I get to tell them good news. That Jesus loves and Jesus desires deeply that you experience life. Life. And that we get to share this life. others now just a moment we're going to celebrate the cross and preparing for communion we just spent the last 40 minutes talking about how amazing life is because of the cross how we are reconciled because of the cross how we have a brand new standing because of the cross because Jesus chose, out of love, to go, leave his throne room, spread his arms, be demeaned and disfigured, so that we might enter into a relationship with Jesus. Now for some of you, and again, you come from different backgrounds and and you hear the word communion or the Lord's Supper. But but let me just explain it to you. All right? First of all, um, anybody who is part of God's family is is welcome to join us. Yet I also want to say this, that there are times when you just don't take communion. Because what happens if we're actually unwilling, unwilling to... Thank God for his death. If we're unwilling to even ask God, as it says in First Corinthians, is there some sin in my life? Am I holding some grudges? Do I need to apologize to my wife? Did I treat my kids? Whoa. And we start asking God. And if you're not willing to literally just ask God, is there something dirty in me? I want to clean that up even right now. So when the ushers come, when they come, the plate's going to go by. And if you are part of God's family, I hope you take it. And what we'd like you to do is once you take it, there's some, some bread and, and a cup. And we'd like you to take and just hold it. And spend a few minutes. Our band is going to be playing. And spend a few minutes just listening to God and responding to God. And then in just a few minutes, I'll get back up and we'll take the elements together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your grace. Lord, some people look at this communion thing as a ritual. All right, I, you, you kind of do it if you're kind of religious. But God, you told us that we keep forgetting too much all you did. And that we sometimes even become casual toward your death. And God, we don't want that. We want to remember your great love for us and your sacrifice for us. And, Lord, when we do, we also think of the times in our life where we've rebelled against you. And, Father, we want to come to you and confess our sin so that that we're restored once again. So, Lord, as we take the bread and the cup, remind us of some things in our life that need to be made right. May we be overwhelmed by your grace even today. So thankful for your sacrifice so we could be reconciled. In Jesus' name.